to the lobby bar podcast how you doing jason how you doing buddy good good so life's been crazy hasn't it it's yeah, kind of like off. feeling a little bit back to normal traffic's back and it's been kind of wild huh yeah the traffic's the bad part i guess but it is uh <laughs> it's nice getting back to normal back yeah. to the offices yeah the staff back at the offices it's been nice yeah. you know feel it no masks at the stores yeah are you having a lot of people complain about coming back to the office or everyone pretty happy? Um, almost everybody's pretty happy. We only had a few complaints. <laughs> yeah, same, same here. Very, very minimal. I, I think um, at least up here, most people are uh, excited to kind of the, the, uh, the camaraderie's back, you know, having everybody yeah. in the office, working together, yeah. the assistants and the attorneys, like being able to personally interact instead of be on the chat, you know? Right, uh, right. So it's it's been it's been nice. It's been nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be nice when we can kind of like just, you know, have like our normal schedules and, you know, do the do the conference circuit and get, you know, see clients and and do all of that. Yeah, again, we're you know, we're starting to do that a little bit up here uh more now. Yeah. Some happy hours. Um yeah. I'm stoked cuz the um you know, the golf tournaments up here, there's a few, the Viking, the AWCP, those are yeah. happening. So uh, August nice. and October, we have those. The conferences are coming back in person this yeah. year. So I don't know. I'm excited to just get it out there again and see people. Yeah. I wonder how well attended these conferences are going to be the, the for the rest of the year. I think, <laughs> I think the, um, the adjuster circuit up here with the mm -hmm. golf tournaments and I hope they do the crab feed and stuff. I think those are going to be well attended because I, I know like everybody yeah. wants to get out now, you know, everybody's vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. At least right. most people seem to be. Um, I think some that the question I think will be the national ones where people are traveling to Vegas and uh, I don't right. know where national rims is this year, but um, those will be interesting. I hope they're well attended. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because I feel like employers know, now that just like employees know, like, hey, I could do my job from home. Why are you making yeah. me come in? On the flip side, employers know, hey, you can go to these conferences virtually. Yeah. I don't have to pay for a hotel and a, and a huge fee for the conference. Why can't these things stay virtual? Um, yeah, that'll be interesting, you know, whether or not these um, these employers are going to bring back the travel budgets and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I bet some won't. You know, yeah. or if they've even given it thought since yeah. the last year, they probably cut them, restricted travel. Who's brought mm -hmm. them back yet? You know, right, right. That'll be that'll so. be interesting. But I, I mean, I hope they're well attended. I hope we, I hope there's a lot of our industry partners there. I hope yeah. we can have some fun again, meet yeah. people. Absolutely, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, it'd be cool to take the podcast on the road and try to like record something at like a at a conference. Like well, there's no reason we can't. I mean, we have all this yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, do it like in a lobby bar. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that'd be awesome. Come on, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> that were you, what was that where you were uh, going for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But, but yeah, then the other um, big news, I guess, is our uh, firm 10-year anniversary. I noticed that we started uh, kind of planning our 10-year Christmas party. So yeah, Vegas, yes, I'm uh, stoked. It's been 10 years. It'll be, uh, it should be fun. Like yeah. we haven't gotten together like the whole firm for a few years now. Because after a certain point, like doing the the Christmas party all together kind of became a, a bear to plan and manage. But, you know, getting everyone together again, inviting some of, you know, some of our clients and just, you know, having a good yeah. time. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Once we hit that point, it got a little unruly, just hard to, you know, with all the yeah. staff and wanting to let people bring uh bring a, um, a guest and stuff like that. It, it yeah. was hard. So that's when we started splitting them Northern and Southern California parties. But yeah. um, doing the big firm tenure will be fun. I think everybody's yeah. looking forward to get let loose a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you, um, so. like other than me, what do you attribute our success to? Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, to make man, it 10 years. That's a big milestone, yeah. man. I mean, 10 it years. Is. I, I remember when, when we started uh, working together, because I, I I mean, in case people don't know, I, I didn't start 10 years ago with you. I think I jumped in a year and a half in. Yeah. Um, man, 10 years was that that felt like a long time, long yeah. way away. Yeah, it did. It yeah. did. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like we had a good philosophy of how we wanted to handle claims for our clients, you know, kind of tailoring things the way that they wanted things handled and then actually trying to deliver, you know, like, um, I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of places I worked even, you know, had a similar philosophy on, on the books, you know, like, we're going to keep your claim counts down. We're going to, you know, it's not just about billing. We want you to push them and, you know, do good work. And we were going to give, you know, we're going to give everyone a lot of help and you're going to have all the technical resources to make that happen. And, but, you know, as, as, as firms grow, it, it becomes increasingly harder to stay that course, you know? And so when you, went from having one-on-one -on -one assistance, you know, the people go to two to one and, um, you know, claim counts when they were like in the sixties and then they realized like, Oh, there's some attorneys with 60 files that can't hit a profitable number of hours. So then they start giving everyone 80 and 90 and it just, everything snowballs. And then the product moves away from what they started with. And, that's not to say we didn't have, I mean, you know, we've had these discussions yeah, like, oh, yeah. uh, should we go two to one? Should we, you know, give people more cases and, you know, the, everything. But like just, I think having the constitution to stay the course and just stick to our guns, um, it led to some years where we weren't that profitable because the people that we were working with weren't you know, delivering the goods. But ultimately, I think we've found like a good balance in delivering to our clients what they expect from us and um, keeping our, you know, like system um, flowing in a way where we can still, you know, maintain a, a meager profit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I think we, yeah, even um, as we scaled up, you know, over the years, I, I, I agree. Like we had all those discussions and it's hard to, to scale the business when you're growing and keep the boutique 
mentality and where yeah. we operate and stuff. And I think we did yeah. a good job with that. And um, yeah, I think that's why we've grown kind of organically, you know, yeah. over the last yeah. 10 years and it's yeah. uh, been very steady. We've and we've always kind of... been willing to tell people like we, we can't take any files anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if we're, if we're, if we're swamped, we've, I mean, I, I know we've done it several times now in, in SoCal, like, Hey, uh, can you slow the spigot down a little bit? And, and people appreciate that. I think I've only had that backfire on me once where a client slowed the spigot and never turned it back on. Yeah. <laughs> but... Well, and the biggest thing is, yeah, I'd rather have the spigot slow down a little bit than not deliver on the promise, you know? And exactly. I think, I think you feel the same way. And yeah, the, uh, losing some cases, if somebody doesn't uh, start sending cases again, yeah, is less important than making sure that the whole of our clients are getting what they they're paying for, you know. And exactly. So I, I think that's that's been a big piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm stoked, man. Ten year party. Keep it going. Ten more years. Yeah. Twenty more years. For young man, I think right? I got. I think I have fifteen in me tops. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a little older than me. I forgot. So. Oh yeah. I'll keep, I'll hold you to the 15 though. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we wanted to hop on this podcast, just, uh, you know, every month there's panel cases that come down. There was nothing horribly huge that came down in terms of, uh, and bonk decisions or anything this month, but there was, there were a few interesting panel cases that uh, you and I were talking about when we saw, yeah. when we saw them come down the pipe. So, um, I don't know. You want me to jump on mine or you want to jump on yeah, yours? We each grabbed one that we thought on. was interesting. Yeah. Just jump on yours. Okay. Um, so I, uh, there's a case R R Rivera versus city of Petaluma that I thought was interesting that I wanted to talk about, uh, just briefly, essentially it's a case about, re uh, unreasonable refusal of medical treatment. And I picked it because it's sort of an issue that doesn't come up that much, but it's an important concept that, uh, I know adjusters need to be aware of and, even attorneys that don't deal with it much, because even over the years that I've litigated cases, I've, I've used the labor code about five times. Um, and it's labor code 4056 basically says that a, an applicant cannot unreasonably refuse medical treatment. Uh, and they, and if they do, they can't uh, pursue their claim. So this case, it's a, a police officer. He's sitting in his patrol car in Petaluma, twists his neck, <clears throat> starts getting lightheaded and uh, finishes his shift on his way home. He gets lightheaded again. So he goes to the hospital where they find out he has a stroke. Um, they go to a QME. The QME thinks that he might have a congenital issue in his neck called uh, Bowhunter syndrome, which is like BHS is what they use in the literature. And the QME says, well, I can't really make a determination on, on causation. Uh, there's a test that he can do that I can determine if he has it. Uh, it's called a, a DSA test, but it's sort of a risky test. There's a 5% chance that it'll sustain another stroke during the test. So uh, applicant refuses the test. They depose the QME a bunch of times. They go to trial. The judge basically says, well, it's AOE, COE. Um, he, he had an injury. Um, he didn't have to undergo the test. So the defendant rightfully, I think in this case, appeals it. So, uh, on recon, they did the analysis of there's two prongs to 4056. You know, the employer has to be unequivocally uh, uh, wanting to provide the treatment, which they were in this case, obviously. 
um, and that the risk of treatment has to be inconsiderable when you compare it to the injury that you're dealing with. So the defendant in this case was saying, hey, this injury is a serious injury. So 5% is not, is not uh, that significant. Um, on appeal, the uh, recon uh, unit basically says, well, yeah, that's pretty significant 5% to have another stroke. So it's not unreasonable to, uh, to refuse to do the test. However, the WCAB erred in finding injury. Uh, even without the test, the QME has to use her best judgment and say, within a reasonable medical probability, did he sustain, uh, did, does he have this congenital issue or not? It, you don't need absolute certainty by a test. They, she, the QME can use their best uh, judgment. Um, so they, they kick it back down. Uh, so that, you know, there was goods and bads that came from it. Um, but in this case, the defendant lost on the issue of whether it's an uh, unreasonable refusal of medical care, basically. Right. You know, and um, I've had cases uh, just from uh, the ones that I've dealt with. I, when I was reading this, I had one that came to mind, which is a few years ago, I had a case of a guy claiming a psych injury and he had a monstrosity of a psych PD, something like 50%. The psychiatrist, though, says the guy does not believe in psychiatric treatment, will not undergo any treatment. So he's PNS. And uh, uh, that's at 50%. P Was he a Scientologist or what, why didn't he believe in psych treatment? He lived up in the woods. He was a good old boy. <laughs> didn't believe okay. that there was a that was a real deal going to going and okay. se seeking counseling, I guess. <laughs> so I had, you know, in that case, I used it, I used it a little differently and I deposed the QME and I said, well, you know, if he didn't unreasonably refuse counseling, because in my case, sitting down and talking to somebody is certainly not a risky proposition, right? Like you're yeah. not going to sustain injury. You're not going to die. Um, and in that case, the QME said, well, if he would, if he would go through some therapy, he would be completely fine. You know, he, <laughs> he, like, basically that's what the QME said. So I yeah. ended up settling that for almost nothing. Um, yeah. as opposed to, you know, hundred thousand plus in PE, right. but, um, this is a, this, this case is tough though for the defendant. Cause like a stroke, you know? Yeah. It's like, a big deal. It, yeah. It's a big deal. And like, how is the, like, it's just frustrating reading some of these cases where the doctors say too much, you know, yeah. like, and I get it that they, you know, they have a, a, a duty to, you know, warn of risks. And I feel like they're covering their ass in some respects, but like, this is clearly a test that would have given the app, uh, defendant something as far as, you know, finding causation, but to say that, and then I don't, I don't even see how the doctor can use his best medical judgment to say whether it's, you know, yeah, well, so Hunter syndrome or not? It, it, when I so there was some deposition testimony in the case that they cited, and mm -hmm. it looked like the doctor was pretty con convinced that that's what he had—that he had this Bohunter oh, okay. syndrome. The doc, but the doctor couldn't said, "Well, I can't, I can't diagnose him with it without this test." But right. if I was to, oh, he almost certainly has it. Yeah, and, and then the doctor said, "Well, and without the test, I can't really address causation well." Mm -hmm. Um. And so, you know, it, it can go back and forth because I, my guess is that when it goes back to the QME mm -hmm. and they said, uh, they send the QME, the supplemental, cause the, uh, recon board 
pretty much gave the language that the mm-hmm. uh, to send to the Kumi. Right. I the, the recon board said, "Do not issue a report based on medical certainty. Based, you, it needs to be based on reasonable medical probability. It doesn't yeah. have to be one hundred percent certain." Right. So my guess would be that the Kumi is going to say that a reasonable yeah. medical probability he has bow hunter syndrome based on the circumstances and um therefore it's not not industrial that there, there was no yeah. contribution from employment and then this guy's gonna get the test right <laughs> yeah he's gonna get the test to try to show that it isn't but... yeah yeah so it's gonna flip right so <laughs> I, I i think that would be my guess the way this the, this pans out i'd be interested to know but yeah. um yeah it just the, the qme was they kept they kept asking the qme you know can't you diagnose them with this? And the QME said, well, yeah. I can't, you know, I can't diagnose somebody without a test. That's how yeah. you diagnose this thing. Yeah. Um, they might've been asking a bit of the defense attorney in the case might've been asking a little bit of the wrong questions at the depot. Yeah. Cause it seems clear to me that you could have steered the doctor, you know, to, to say that like, Hey, yeah, without the test, we're not asking you for a definitive diagnosis within a reasonable right. medical probability. Do mm-hmm. you believe based on your medical experience that he likely has this, you know? Right. And so would have probably said yes. Right. So yeah. it might've been a bit of a fault on the defense attorney, but of course I haven't read the whole deposition transcript that I'm not in the know. Right. So right. just, just my guess. It's easy. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback that. Yeah. It always, uh, that's the best time to quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the fine folks at Mullen Phillip here. Yeah. I don't want somebody on a podcast criticizing my case. <laughs> So the case I wanted to talk about was uh, Abraham Alex versus All Nation Security Service. Um, this is a security guard that was working at a train station. Um, like a homeless dude walks in, starts, you know, messing stuff up, punches the security guard, and then bounces, just takes off. And then the security guard gives chase, follows him outside. And he trips and falls, cracks his head open, like concussions, all kinds of problems. So they go to trial on the issue of um, AOECOE. The defendants are claiming um, that their policy is to not give chase. And their policy actually for this particular person was to just check tickets. Um, And so they tried to claim he was outside of the scope of his employment because he deviated from his um, actual tasks. Um, the, the WCJ found that the witness testimony was credible, but uh, determined that um, his deviation didn't constitute um, a substantial deviation to take him outside of the course of his employment. The appeals board um, reviewed everything, agreed with the WCJ, and denied uh, reconsideration. So it's a, I mean, this this is a pretty common, you know, fact pattern. Not necessarily in the the homeless guy and and whatever, but people doing things outside of the the scope of their employment or f- not following um, the rules and. Um, it kind of gives us some guidance as far as what you know the board is going to see as a material deviation from from their job. I mean, 
in this case, I think, what'd you say, Jason? They, they found that he fell like what, like six meters from the door. Yeah, or something it was, like that? yeah, it was very close to the, the, the stop, you know, and, and then they talked about, and they've, these are factors in all these deviation cases, you know, whether it's a minor or a material deviation and right. the personal comfort doctrine, a lot of time comes into this. Cause a lot of these kind of cases are involving people they might be traveling salespeople and they stop by Home Depot to grab something for their own house on their way home um, or uh, cases like that. And, you know, so there's many factors in terms of, you know, is it a personal errand, uh, how, you know, the length of the deviation, the nature of the deviation, those kind of things. And right. in this case, like uh, you and I talked about before we hopped on here, I think it might have made a bit of a difference whether he's pursuing this suspect this uh this person um six meters away from the uh the building or if this guy's an olympic 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 (laughs) athlete and he had chased this homeless man for two or three miles through traffic that might have that might have swayed the 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 court a little bit but in this case they just didn't have it you know that he's performing his duties as a security guard um And then there was testimony, even in this case, from his super, direct supervisor who, who referred to him as a brave individual for taking on this because the <laughs> security guy was in his 60s yeah. chasing this guy, you know, yeah. and they didn't discipline him because they didn't think it warranted getting written up even. Yeah. Um, so it, it just what, wasn't a fact pattern for me that I thought that I would have thought they would have had a lot of um yeah, that would have got a lot of bite on. I mean, I not to say that if I got this case, I wouldn't deny it and try to settle it and yeah. go from there. But when you go all the way to trial and it goes goes that far, yeah, you have a sympathetic guy doing yeah. his job. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to prevail on at trial. But I don't. I see why they why they pushed it. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. going all the way to recon, yeah. you know, like that's a little that stubborn move there. Yeah. It's like someone's yeah. someone's kid needed Jordans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of legal fees on a case that I could have told you that it's a ninety nine percent chance you're gonna lose a trial. Yeah, and that it's an almost certain chance you're gonna lose at recon because it's it's purely right. factual on all these deviation cases, and the recon court uh, board talks about it, unit talks about it. Yeah. Um, that this is a fact pattern, and yeah. they're gonna rely heavily on the on the judge and the testimony. Yeah. They're not gonna right. go back and reevaluate the testimony of these mm-hmm. people. Right. Um, yeah, and you don't really have a legal argument, yeah. you know. So, yeah. I, it, it's yeah, it's a it's a strange one for me to recon. But yeah, um, hey, stop my money. It's, it's funny being in the industry that that we are like this, like security guards giving chase and knowing that that's against policy for most security guards. Um, like you know, you see people that see these videos online where someone's getting like assaulted at like in front of a building, and there's a security guard like watching through the window, and they might like even close the door, yeah. you know, to keep the the assault happening from happening inside. And people are like, oh my god, that guy's so heartless, and whatever, whatever. But he's like, no, that guy might get fired if he actually intervenes, you know? Yeah. Like there, you know, there's you know a lot of um, workers' comp issues that come in, like if that guy jumps out there and does something so like i don't i don't fault those guys because they're just doing their job you know like yeah are, are they being good humans maybe not you know but like i i understand you know yeah these, these are on their hands all these security guards are unarmed yeah. um this guy was unarmed and you're putting yourself in a situation where you can 
get yourself seriously hurt. I mean, they, yeah. they said that the homeless man was much larger than him. Um, yeah. Who knows if he's armed? He was be- he was belligerent in the train station or the bus yeah. station rather. Um, and I, and as you and I, I know, we've seen a million of these security cases through the years. Yeah, we do we do a lot of that type of work, but and they're always getting assaulted. But oh, yeah. every one that I've seen, yeah, the the, the policies always say that they're not supposed yeah. to go hands on with people. They're not supposed to apprehend or tackle people right. or chase people. Right. But when you just got punched and punched uh in the trains in the bus station it's <laughs> kind of hard not to chase somebody after they yeah. did that to you right <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and and it's important i guess people listening to this most people will be thinking well obviously if you got punched in the what where's the aoc area, right in this case yeah. the defendant actually did kind of a clever thing here where they all, had all the doctors say that he wasn't injured by the punch that the in all the injury came from falling outside so that's the dis- Get it. We have to distinguish yeah. that here because right. if the injury started in inside this uh, bus station, then uh, unquestionably, obviously, right. it's AOECOE. But that that was right. they were able to kind of get that line in the sand drawn medically, yeah. um, and then yeah. they had this potential defense. But, right? Because I know I know any adjusters or attorneys listening to this, they're going to be like, uh, you know, yeah, where's that coming from? Right? <laughs> right <laughs> but right. that that's that's how they that's how they were able to kind of do it. I think what's going to be interesting going forward, because I think a lot of companies are moving towards like a hybrid system where people are going to work from home a lot more, even post pandemic, like, like what is going to be deemed a material deviation for someone that's working from Mm -hmm. home? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it like, because the personal comfort doctrine could apply to like literally everything they do inside their house. You know what I mean? And so how many personal comfort breaks can people have and you know like how does how do you you know how do you differentiate or how do you even know right like that person could get hurt going to the kitchen say oh that was my one break today but they could have been going to the kitchen like 20 times or should they be allowed to go to the kitchen 20 times you know like I, i think we're gonna we're gonna see some cases where people are gonna have to draw a line in the sand on that issue for work from home people because like what is material for that person? Like grabbing a snack, maybe not, but picking your kid up from school certainly seems like it would be. But what if the school's across the street? You know? Yeah. Well, I and I can. Yeah, you can. You can really uh, extend it out. I mean, because yeah, say you have a computer programmer. You used to work at Google, working from home now, full time. Work six in the morning to five at night. That's this the the. That's the schedule. Um, yeah, like you said, goes and picks up his kids at school, drives two miles back and forth at two o'clock. That's basically the break. Out of personal comfort, it could be. I mean, the the employer is giving a lot of freedom to empl- uh, employees working at home to log in, log off. Uh, yeah. Is it going to be like a a, a situation where there's the bu- the business traveler portal to portal, like where anything you do yeah. sort of at home, right? You know, what if you run up to Seven Eleven to get your lunch? Uh, I mean, you could think of a thousand scenarios that are kind of borderline where it's like, it's not ridiculous that you could claim comp, but it's also obviously not a like within the course of employment to go pick your kid up from school, bring them home, right. Get them on their iPads, whatever. Right. Right. And and we all know everybody's doing it. Right. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. So somebody's going to get in an automobile accident. Something's going to happen and these claims are going to come down and they're going to go all the way. Cause I, I mean, I would. Those are the cases that I would tell the client, hey, 
we got to see how this is going to pan out. You can't just accept yeah. a case like that. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to accept every case. Um, right. And those are where that would seem like the material deviation outside the mm -hmm. scope. So, yeah, I, I think that when half, I mean, who knows how this is going to play out. But I, I think there's going to be a large portion of the population that are going to continue working from home. Yeah. Even 30%. And, yeah, yeah these things are going to come up. That's going to be, yeah. that'll be the comp case of the future. I don't know. Yeah. Be interesting. Cool, man. I think that's all we had for today. Yeah, it was a quick so, one. Yeah, yeah. Nice, talk, nice seeing you, buddy. Good seeing you. Good jumping on with these things. So yeah. Keep these things going. Thanks for yep. listening, everybody. All right. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Right.